Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Kyle Marley. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 77, Holly Holm versus Myra Bueno Silva, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got the former champ, the woman that dethroned the great Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, at 41 years of age, and she's still in the mix, taking on the young, hungry, and dangerous Mayra Shitara Bueno Silva. And I know oftentimes we don't really get up for Holly Holm main events, but man, I I love watching Silva fight. She's violent, and I think she's actually going to push Holly Holm to have that exciting fight that's been evading us uh, for a very long time. Man, I'm looking for reasons to be excited about this card, so I'm glad you're throwing them out there already. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Holly Holm, she's been a staple in the UFC for a long time. I think it's a, a tough test for Bueno Silva, but if she wins it, it puts her right there in the title shot. So there's definitely meaning behind this fight. Uh, I was just hoping for a better main event when I started my week. Yeah, I mean, we're so spoiled. Last week, Volkanovski in the main event, uh, the Pantoja in the co-main event. So yeah. I mean, it's basically when you're up at the top of the mountain, you can't go anywhere but down. So this is what we have to deal with, but we're going to make the best of it. So in the main event, we got the former champ, Holly Holm. She's 15 and six, taking on Myra Bueno Silva, who's 10, two and one. In my opinion, she's 11 and two because that draw against uh, uh, Montana De La Rosa, I thought that she won that fight. And currently they got it. Holly Holm minus 175. The comeback on Myra Bueno Silva is plus 150. So, Kyle, this is an interesting fight, man, because obviously we know Holly Holm has a massive experience gap. I mean, she won the belt. How long ago was it that she won the belt? Let's see. So, her fight against Ronda Rousey was all the way back in 2015. That's the year I started this show, Kyle. It's been eight years since she touched gold, but I mean, to stay at the top of a division for so long, that's very admirable. And at 41 years of age, I mean, she's coming off a pretty dominant performance against Yana Kunitskaya. So I wouldn't, you know, rate her amongst most 41-year-olds. You know, even though she's closer to the end of her career than to the prime, she's still performing at a very high level. And we know what she brings to the table. She's a southpaw, very good footwork, very educated out there, good at winning minutes. And lately, in three of her last... Um, in two of her last three fights, excuse me, she's gone out there and put up takedown numbers, which has been kind of a new addition to her game. You know, she went out there against uh, Yana, four takedowns, against Irene, five takedowns, plus over 150 significant strikes. So for someone at kind of a mature age, those are positive signs that, you know, she's not necessarily on a decline. But the reason I've always liked Myra Bueno Silva is because one thing we often complain about in the women's divisions is, you know, there's not enough finishes. There's not, you know, they don't they don't hit harder, this or that. And that's just simply not the case with my era, man. I mean, I remember when I bet on Marina Moroz at dog odds against Myra Bueno Silva. So Myra Bueno Silva submitted Jillian Robertson, which one doesn't simply do. Jillian Robertson has the most submissions in women's UFC history, right? Myra submits her. And then her next fight, she's fighting Marina Moroz. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, she's a little inexperienced, as big dog odds on Marina Moroz. I'm going to take that. And it was actually the Kevin Levers Charles Oliveira card. So it was the first ever COVID card, but it was before the Apex. So they were literally in an empty arena in Brazil. And dude, when I tell you that I had to sweat the hell out of that bet 
on Marina Moroz. I mean, the calf kicks of Myra Bueno Silva, her presence. Every time she lands a shot, you can see the look in her opponent's faces like, oh my God, like I've never been hit like that before. And that fight, I felt like I got lucky because it was simply a case of Myra Bueno Silva ran out of time. I truly believe that that was a five round fight that she was going to finish Marina Moroz. I mean, the calf kicks were adding up every single time she'd land. Um, like I said, the expressions on Marina's face were like, oh, my God. But Marina bailed herself out with takedowns. And that's an issue that Myra's had throughout her career. She gives up takedowns easily. But on the flip side, she's very aggressive with her jujitsu. We've seen arm bars. We've seen knee bars on the contender series. We saw an anaconda choke. So she can finish a fight at any point on the mat. But on the feet, she hits super hard for that division standards. And she's been maturing. She's taken her up. She's taken her downs. And it's all led her to this point right here, main event against the former champ, possibly, arguably, a future Hall of Famer, Holly Holm. And I think this fight's going to let us know a lot about where both these women are and what their future is and what their projections are going forward. Yeah, man, I was I was looking for a reason to bet Silva here just because she's the underdog. She's 10 years younger than Holm. Fighters 10 years younger win 67% of the time. Uh, so getting her at plus 135 or whatever it is, I think there's value to that. But her best advantage in this fight is going to be on the ground in, in top control, most likely. I don't know if she's going to have a whole lot of success on bottom, but I also don't know that Holly Holm wants to go and wrestle in this fight either because Silva is dangerous. But if Holm can use her wrestling and defense, keep the fight on the feet. I would just imagine she can win this fight over the course of three rounds, even at 41 years old. We've seen her put up some of the most volume she's put up in, in her last, what, three fights ago. She had a bunch of takedowns in her last fight. I think she is the better wrestler in this one. So I'm going to pick Holly Holm to win. She also has the five-round experience. She's been in much higher-level fights. So everything was pointing towards Holm. I picked her, but I'm not going to be betting her at minus 155. You know, the wheels are going to start falling off soon. I, I don't know when that's going to start coming, but maybe it's this fight. Bueno Silva does finish hard. I mean, hit hard. She's got great finishing ability on the ground. And Moneyline finish only over on DraftKings. She's the favorite in that one. If if you're wanting somebody to finish this fight, you got to go minus 175 on Silva there. And I think that makes a lot of sense. If this fight does end early, Silva's probably getting her hand raised. But I'm going to take home to keep this fight on the feet. Just because Silva landed two takedowns in her last fight, I loved seeing that, but that was her first two takedowns in the UFC. So I can't trust that that's going to happen against someone like Holly Holm. So I'll take Holm to win, you know, four of the five rounds and get her hand raised on the scorecards. But you got to trust the judges too. Who knows what they're going to see? <laughs> and I mean, you make valid points for home. Like you make the correct arguments. Like I'm, I can't sit here and debate anything you said because everything you said is true in terms of the experience in terms of, you know, she's been, she's, she was a champ eight years ago. Right. So, and like I said, at the beginning of the show, to be at the top of a division for that long just speaks volumes to what kind of professional she is. And she will have the better round winning ability here, but I like Bueno Silva. And I'll tell you why, man, I think that, you know, had this fight to, uh, been booked prior to the Manon Fioro fight, then I'd, I'd be all over home based on the experience and the experience might still be a huge factor here. But I think when you take, you know, a loss like that, where you get exposed for three rounds against a much better striker and, you know, someone that, you know, isn't overreacting to your shot, someone that, you know, because up until that point, every single person that Myra had hit 
had been like dumbfounded by it, right? Had been kind of taken aback, like had never been hit like that before. So when someone finally stood up to her, it was kind of shocking. But since that point, she's rebounded. She's on a three-fight win streak. And granted, it's been against soft competition, but she's handled the soft competition accordingly. And I think that she's matured as a result. I really loved her against Misha Tate, which was the initial matchup. I thought she was going to go out there and finish Misha Tate for sure. Now, I don't know for sure that she's going to finish Holly Holm, but at plus 150 odds, I might be willing to take a gander. Um, I think that one way she can kind of slow down the movement of Holly Holm is with those calf kicks. And even though Holly is a southpaw, which is going to kind of make it tougher, I think that Myra can, you know, kick that inside leg and still slow her down like that. I've also seen Holm get rocked on numerous occasions. And Myra doesn't just have calf kicks or spinning back kicks. She's also got heavy hands as well. And if Holly takes her down, Holly's got to be super careful while she's neutralizing her. She can't give her any kind of openings to take an arm, to take a leg, because believe me when I tell you, Myra will take an arm, will take a leg, will take a neck. And with those extra two rounds, I think that she's got a better chance to finish this fight, of course. So, yeah. Um, and then you go back to that, like, Caitlin Vieira fight that people call a robbery. Okay, you can call it a robbery all you want, but the fact is y'all were laying like minus two something on a split decision type fight. If this is a split decision type fight, I want the dog. And I think that Myra Bueno Silva, while she might not be as, I don't know if I want to say technically sound, I don't know, that might not be true or whatever. I think she's a lot more durable than Kaitlyn Vieira, right? Like, I think she's a lot meaner too. And I think that she's going to make her presence known. So it's a, it's a very volatile fight that could go a lot of ways. The way you described it is definitely a possibility, kind of the home outclassing her type thing. I could see that as well. But, man, I just like the danger factor from Myra, and I like the fact that she's paid her dues already. She's already had the ups and the downs, and, you like, you crushed the grapes. Now we drink the wine. So I'm going to go with the plus 150 on Myra Bueno Silva, and I think somewhere along the way she's going to find that finish, and uh, we'll see how it goes down. Because, like I said, this is one of those fights, very volatile, could end in a variety of ways. I'm going to go with the underdog on it. I like it. Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We got my twin, Albert Duraev. He's 16 and four, taking on Jung Young Park, who is 16 and five. And currently they got it. The Iron Turtle, Jung Young Park. He's minus 150. The comeback on Albert Duraev is plus 130. This is, a, this is another good one, man. I mean, Jung Young Park, he's a dude that's been doing his thing. And Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. You're you're an 11 times DraftKings qualifier, right? Yeah, something like that. Sounds about right. So so you know damn well who John Young Park is because he's behind one of the biggest DraftKings tr controversies ever. <laughs> if you go on UFC stats right now and you pull up John Young Park versus John Phillips and you're trying to analyze this fight and you're saying, like, how the hell did this guy go three <laughs> rounds and only land 10 significant strikes? Um, I think that that actually shows a big error in the counters. I don't mean counter striking. I mean the people that count the strikes. Um, because look at the scorecards, 30-25 times three. Let's look at total strikes, Kyle. This dude, John Young Park, goes out there and lands 260 of 350 attempted. But they only credited him with 10 significant strikes. That is atrocious. That is disgusting. That's absolutely made his numbers skewed in a way that are inaccurate so when you look at his numbers they don't tell the whole picture 
Because how can you explain landing 260 strikes, attempting 350, but only being credited with 10 significant? Um, I'm still surprised no, they haven't been investigated like to a, <laughs> to a higher extent for that because that is atrocious. Um, but, dude, this guy's been paying his dues as well, and he can mix it up. Um, on the feet, he's got combinations. He's got volume. If he feels like you're a little bit too dangerous for him standing, he's very smart and will take the fight down to the ground. I've seen rear naked chokes. I've seen ground and pound. So I like what I've seen from him. And the only guys to beat him in the UFC have caught him in fights where he was very competitive in, right? And with Duraev, listen, man, if you're going to have a low volume fight with him, then, you know, it's grounds for him to kind of rush and coast a little bit. And in that first round, I mean, he can go out there and, and hit takedowns on you. But my issue with Duraev is that, historically speaking, he does slow down as fights progress. Um, and even that last fight against Chidi, you know, I was actually at a concert that night. Um, so, like, prior to the concert, you know, I was at dinner or whatever, and I was watching the fight on my phone. And on, on my phone, you know, barely paying attention, I thought that Duraev won that fight. But when I watched it last night, like, on my big screen TV... I was actually kind of surprised Duraev got it. Like, I thought he clearly won the first round. I thought the second round clearly went to Chidi. And then the third round was the, the swing round. And I kind of edged Chidi there, man. I kind of thought Chidi got that third round. And I was surprised the Texas kid got, I don't want to say robbed, but didn't get the decision in Texas. But listen, man, Duraev, he's well-rounded. It's just, like I said, it's a little bit low volume for me, and it's a little bit Russian coasty for me. So if John Young Park isn't active then Durayev's a live dog. I just think that John Young Park's going to have a little bit more activity, a little bit more hustle, a little bit more grind. And for that reason, Kyle, I think he's going to come out here and win the decision as a slight favorite. Yeah, I like that. Um, if Chidi just did a little bit more, he, he would have won that fight. And I think that Park's not as powerful of a striker or as clean of a striker, but he, he will do a little bit more, I think. He'll fight for three full rounds. I think it could be a better live betting spot rather than paying all this juice. You might be able to get plus money after round one if Derive does go out there and lands a takedown or two and controls that round because I do think he would slow down and Park is more likely to win rounds two and rounds two and three. So I'm right with you. I'm going to take Park by decision in this one. Uh, Park could also land his own takedowns if he wants to. I don't know how great Derive will look off his back, but if you're going to cancel out the wrestling, I'm going to give strike uh, the striking edge over to Park. And I think the volume will be there. The cardio will be there. So if he can stuff takedowns, there's just a clear path to victory. Park by decision. Yeah, word on the street is in the gym, Derive is like a world beater. And honestly, when you look at his UFC resume, I mean, it's some solid competition, man. I mean, he beat Kopalov in his debut. And at the time, people didn't take Kopalov as seriously. But it seems like Kopalov's really gained confidence his last few fights and has been really putting things together. And now he's looking like somebody. So that that's a win that aged well. The Buckley fight, Buckley had a significant speed advantage. But as you see, Buckley dropped down to 170 pounds. So obviously the smaller guy is going to be the faster guy. So I don't really hold that against him too much. And then Chidi, always a tough out as well. So it's not like this guy's been given any softballs or anything like that. He's been in there with tough competition. And prior to that, I mean, this dude was out there in Russia doing his thing. So Duraev is no slouch at all. Uh, just sometimes I feel like, from what we've seen, doesn't quite put it together as well as you want to. I just, I just want, I just want this much more activity from him. 
um like like when i was watching the tape yesterday on that chidi fight like this much more activity would have made that fight decisive where it's not like man i think chidi could have got it or this or that so we'll see because john young park is going to make him fight that's the thing about the iron turtle like no matter win lose or draw this guy's going to go out there and make you fight and that's why i brought up the john phillips fight earlier because if you're just looking at stats which i know some people don't watch tape and they only look at stats which Normally, I don't have an issue with because I think stats tell huge stories, but you have to look beyond the significant strikes. You have to look at the total strikes because, again, when you look at that disparity of 260 total strikes, but 10 significant, like, come on, dude. Come, come on, son, right? So that can give people a false impression of the work rate of Jong Young Park, right? All right? And that was the fight that changed the scoring on DraftKings. You, you used to only get points for significant strikes. So you're out there, you pick Park. I don't even think he was that owned. And he looks like he should score 200 points, and they screwed him over big time. So they changed scoring to now you get .04 points for a significant strike, but you also get .04 points for just any strike. So you he would have scored a lot more now than he scored back then. But if if we all knew what a significant strike even was back then, if they told us anything over a fight metric, uh, I think that could have <laughs> that could have been handled a whole lot better. But yeah, that was the fight that changed scoring on DraftKings. It was so crazy. Yeah, and I mean, think about this. Like, even back then with the old scoring, let's say that of those 260 total, let's say they only credit him with 100 significant strikes. I mean, that would have been a hell of a, 10 times better than 10 significant strikes, you know, quote unquote. So yeah, it's just crazy um, that, that that's what happened there. And then someone in the comments, Billy, said, derives on the last fight of his contract and you know that's that's true but i guess what you're trying to say is maybe he's going to fight with a little bit more urgency that's what we hope that's what we absolutely hope because that's the thing that's kind of been missing in my opinion you know he's got everything i need he can wrestle he can strike he's fought tough competition like all i need is just a little bit more effort and if he does that then he is dangerous then he is a live dog it's just until i see that I'm going to pick against him in this specific spot with a guy that's proven to have a higher work rate. Featured bout in the featherweight division, we got Norma Dumont. She's 9-2, and two, taking on Chelsea Chandler, who's 5-1. and one. And currently, Kyle, they got it. Norma Dumont, minus 145. The comeback on Chelsea Chandler is plus 125. So interestingly enough, so I think it opened minus 210 Dumont, then it flipped to dog odds. Now it flipped again to uh, Dumont being a slight favorite. So a lot of love for Chelsea Chandler. I mean, do you, are you in line with that? Do you kind of think it's a little too much too soon? Like, like how do you view her as a prospect and what do you think about this matchup? Man, I don't know. I think it's a tough one. I don't really know what to think of Chandler. I, I like the work rate from her. It's just a little bit sloppy. And then her best work in her last fight came on the ground, but she wasn't even going for the wrestling in that one. I don't know how good of a wrestler she is. I like her ground and pound when she gets in top control. Uh, I like her volume on the feet, but it's all just slow and loopy shots. I think Norma's the more technical, more powerful striker of the two. I think she's stronger, probably faster as well. And it could come down to who who gets the takedowns. If either one of them gets a takedown, I think they can spend a good amount of time in top control and just grind out the round there. But if there are no takedowns, I think Dumont lands the harder shots. 
Chandler lands more shots. How do the judges see it? I have no idea. So I'm not going to bet it. But skill-wise, I think Dumont's a little bit better, a little bit bigger. Uh, I'll take her to, to get the win. Two rounds for Dumont, but I think it'll be a close, maybe split decision type of fight. How do you see it going down? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think that Dumont, more experienced, um, you know, been the full three rounds inside the octagon more than once, has been through the ups and downs already, has fought some much better competition, and it seems like she's putting her game together, right? Like, she has different game plans for different opponents. When she went out there with that inexperienced boxer, um, she was taking her down at will, the, the wolf chick. And then in other fights, you'll see her go out there against Carol Hosa, who's known for being, you know, having a lot of high output. Norma was, you know, putting her up against the fence, kind of neutralizing her, which was a really smart game plan. And then kind of barely held on in that third round. But, you know, Carol Hosa is just on a different level, in my opinion, in terms of experience compared to Chelsea. Carol Hosa has kind of been there before, and she's also put up the 100 significant strikes on multiple occasions. So, and you just saw in Carl's last fight against um, Yana, the same thing, where it was like the first two rounds were kind of close, and then Carl really pulled away in that third round. So it's kind of a similar situation. And with Chelsea, I mean, you know, she did her thing against Julia Stolyarenko, but we know that Julia Stolyarenko is armbar or bust. And Chelsea got taken down right away. She got full mounted, and a better fighter is not just going to give up a full mount to go for an ill-advised armbar. A better fighter is going to stay in that full mount, whether it's riding out the round, whether it's going for ground and pound. I mean, a, a much more experienced and higher IQ fighter is going to make Chelsea Chandler work out of that full mount position. Because, like I said, when Julia full mounted Chelsea, I mean, like you're in full mount, which is one of the most dominant positions you can be in immediately goes to her back for an armbar, and then once she can't get her armbar, you know what happens when Julia can't get her armbar. She loses, you know? And Chelsea, I got to give her credit. She's mean. She finished the fight. She had the wherewithal to survive that bad spot, come back and win. And on the feet, she's mean too, you know? Stockton 209, I respect it, but I simply think she's a little bit too inexperienced in the spot. Um, now, could that, you know, mean streak come into play here because kind of like we were talking about in the main event you know when you have women that you know have that kind of power or just kind of have that mean streak it, it counts for a lot it goes a long way because we're still in kind of like the, the developing stages of women's mma i mean women have only been in the ufc less than 10 years kyle so um the divisions are still developing so maybe that mean streak can get her far in this spot but i just kind of think that like you said Norma is too experienced, too well-rounded, and she is the true 45er in the spot. And a lot of people are asking, you know, why is this fight at featherweight? You know, Amanda just retired. There's, like, no one else in the division. I mean, do you all think uh, Norma Dumont can make 135? Because I don't, you know. And so, yeah, I I'm going uh, Norma Dumont here, most likely unanimous decision. Now, next up in the lightweight division, this should be a banger, Kyle. We got Otman Azaitar. He's 13 and 1, taking on Francisco Prado, who's 11 and 1. And currently, they got it. They got it to pick them. So it just depends where you look. Different books got it at different lines, but it's basically a pick them with a slight lean on Francisco Prado. And it's interesting because had that Frivola fight not happened, as Itar would be the favorite here, just based on when he came into the UFC, firstly, him and his brother 
have like a notorious reputation, not just in MMA, but outside of MMA. Let's just put it this way. These are the kind of guys you want on your side. Let's just leave it at that, right? And he is a dangerous knockout artist, no doubt. Killer be killed. And that's what we love about him. And with Prado, he's only 20 or 21 years old. He's just a kid. He's from Argentina, which... I mean, if you've ever dated an Argentine woman or you've had a friend that's Argentinian, you know for a fact, very stubborn. You're not going to win an argument. Uh, so this kid is not going to give you an inch, right? And I felt like that fight against Jamie Malarkey was simply a vet lesson situation. Or but I thought that he fought admirably, man. On the feet, some of the stand-up exchanges were, were kind of close, but... He just gave up some easy takedowns and he did. He was able to get back up to his feet. You know, he fought tough. He just wasn't quite ready. But that was the kind of fight where, like, when you see a 20 year old kid, every single time you see them, you're going to be seeing these big leaps. And I expect Francisco to not necessarily look like a brand new man or anything like that, but just look more mature, look, you know, kind of more like he belongs. Like, you got that last fight out the way. And it's not like the dude ran through you either. Like you went three hard rounds with him. You know, that's respectable. Now you get to come back out there and you've had a few months to evolve your game. I expect a, a better version. On the feet, Francisco kind of has that Drew Dober blockhead chin, man. I mean, the dude, Drew Dober never went down until recently against Frivola. Prior to that, hitting Drew Dober, you have to hit that dude with a baseball bat to rock him. And I think that right now, uh, Francisco Prado is kind of on that same ordeal where like, dude, you to drop a guy like him, like you better hit him with something super hard. And then what he's really known for is he's got nasty ground and pound too. And with Ottman as Itar, it's been the same thing his whole career. This dude, you stand and bang with him in the pocket, it's 50-50. He can knock you out or you can knock him out. Most of the time, he's knocking you out. I'm kind of leaning towards the young cat here, you know, the young gun. I think that you know, he's just got a little bit less mileage on the tank. I think he's probably a little bit hungrier, but I would never uh, disrespect an Azaitar brother ever. I just think that Francisco has just got a little bit left in the tank, and I think that he can win in that 50-50 kind of pocket fight, but I also think he can win should the fight get extended. So for that reason, Kyle, I'm going to go with Francisco Prada to get his first UFC win. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I expect a car crash here. And it's 50-50. Whoever's going to win, whoever lands that first big bomb and gets knocked out, I really don't have a big lean on that. I think the line is right if you're telling me that's the fight we get. But if either one of these guys goes for a takedown, I think it's Prado. I think he could do a lot of work in top control if he can avoid the guillotine. Um, and I also liked seeing he, him go to the decision. Even though he lost, I liked seeing him go 15 minutes in his last fight. I don't know that Azatar has that in him, to be honest with you. So... Um, I'll take the kid who's 11 years younger. Let's go back to that stat. The younger, the fighter, 10 years or younger wins 67% of the time. So if you're going to tell me that the younger fighter wins two out of every three fights in this one, I'll, I'll side with the stats when I have no real lean on who's going to land that first big shot. So give me Prado first round knockout. I think under one and a half at minus 165 looks like the, the best bet I would make right now though on that fight, rather than taking a side. I'd personally rather take a side because, man, if I'm laying chalk like that and they're just having a slugfest but no one goes out, I'm going to be so pissed off. Um, <laughs> but I'm also not going to talk you off a side if you're convicted on it either. But we both have the same uh, – we're both picking the same winner. But let's see because this is going to be an exciting fight. Like I highly doubt 
either of these guys are going to be humping each other's legs or any bullshit like that. Like, I think that these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. And that's what the fans love to see. So, yeah, I can't wait for that. And speaking of a fight that also most likely is going to end inside the distance, also in the lightweight division, we got Terrence McKinney. He's 13 and five taking on Nazim Sadikov, who's eight and one. And currently they got it. Nazim Sadikov minus 135. The comeback on Terrence McKinney's plus 115. So I think we kind of know what McKinney brings to the table. The guy is incredibly athletic. He's fast. He's physical. And in that first round, he's hell on wheels, specifically the first three to four minutes of that first round. Now, historically speaking, when he gets extended, he tends to fall apart. Do you think a guy like Sadikov can get him to that point, considering Sadikov is actually the less experienced guy here? Yeah, I mean, it looks like anyone could get him to that point. You know, after a certain period in the fight, he's a way better hammer than a nail. And if this was a one-round fight, I would favor McKinney a decent amount. But after that first round, it just gets worse and worse. He's never been past, I believe, the 11-minute mark in a fight. And that was the only time he was in the third round. So it's definitely hard to cap McKinney fights. But I think he's very live to get a finish in that first round, whether it be with a knockout or a wrestling-heavy submission at some point, uh, even ground-and-pound knockout. I think he's going to be looking good in round one. So maybe another live betting opportunity on Sadikov if he does make it out of that round. But, man, who knows with McKinney? Maybe he's... He just knows that style is not going to get him that far in the sport, and he's trying to change it, be more of a 15-minute fighter. That would be great if he could make that happen. But just give me the old Terrence McKinney. Go out there and try and kill this guy in the first round. I think he can do that. So I'll pick McKinney first-round finish. But if Sadikov makes it out of that first round, I think he's going to finish McKinney in the second or third with a TKO. Well, I definitely think that someone as young as McKinney can make adjustments and improvements we also got to consider he's 18 fights deep into his career. So certain habits die hard and certain things aren't going to change. And this is something that we've noticed, whether it was his contender series fight against Sean Woodson, where he got flying knee KO'd all the way to his most recent fight against Bonfim, where he got flying knee KO'd. And it's not even about the flying knee. The flying knee is irrelevant. What, what is relevant is that after that first round, once he realizes that, man, why is this guy still here? I've hit him with my hardest shots. I've taken him down. I've done all these things, and this guy's still in my face. I think it's a mental thing with Terrence McKinney because, I mean, he's not lacking in the athleticism department. He's not lacking in the power department. I mean, and I think that he's also not lack lacking in the grappling department either. Um, so... It's kind of a mental thing, and I know this camp, he left, and he went to go train with Kevin Holland. So for a guy that we've questioned maybe a mental or a cardio thing, you're training with Kevin Holland now, which I'm glad you're getting new looks, but that just tells me you're smoking weed from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, which I got nothing against, but I don't expect your cardio to improve uh, doing stuff like that. So the thing with Nazim is, to your point, you're picking Terrence by first-round finish, and in Nazim's last fight, um, he was dropped in the first round against Elder in his contender series fight. He he um, did, you know, he he had the dude's back and then he was reversed and then he ended up on his back. So, like, 
He's had some sketchy moments. He's been taken down before, but the thing I like about Nazim, he's got that heart and, and he's got the mind. You hear him talk very, very smart, very educated. And for a guy, I talk about this 10 or less pro fights, you're going to be seeing these big leaps every single time he fights. And the thing I love most about Nazim is he gets better as fights progress. He gets stronger as the rounds um, go on. And that's what I think is going to aid him to victory here. So you weather, you know, a big storm here in this first round, and then you take over. Because historically speaking, Terrence is not a 15-minute fighter. And I don't think smoking blunts with Kevin Holland all day for the last six months is going to help him be a 15-minute fighter. So, yeah, and I mean, we talk about him working with, with uh, Kevin. It's like, what, is your takedown defense going to improve now? Nope, that's not going to improve either. So maybe he's getting good looks in the gym. And I respect that. He's probably getting pushed harder than he was before. But certain things don't change in terms of that bully mentality where, like, you hit someone with your hardest shot and it just messes with you that he's still there. Like, the Drew Dober fight's a perfect example. Um, so I'm going Nazim, second or third round finish. Um, I, I know Nazim is green. I know that Nazim has a lot of work to do, but he's surrounded by the right people. You know, he's got, Marab, Aljamain, Sarah Longo, all them, even one of his teammates fought Terrence McKinney um, for Vola. Now, granted, it didn't go for Vola's way, but at least he knows, like, hey, we got we to gotta be careful in this early going. We, we know this guy is very dangerous. But after that, after get me, get me past these first four minutes, and I think he can take over, and I, that's what I'm picking, and I'm considering a bet as well. Uh, so, yeah, give me Nazim Sadikov here for the dub. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Tucker Lutz. He's 12 and 3, taking on Melsic Bagdasarian, who's 7 and 2. And currently, they got it. Melsic Bagdasarian minus 160. The comeback on Tucker Lutz is plus 140. So, Kyle, this went from minus 250 Melsic all the way down to my um to minus 160. And whether it's recency bias of people being burnt, you know, betting Melsica's last fight against Kulabau, whatever the case may be, they simply decided that minus 250 was too high and that minus 160 is maybe where the true line is. And here's the thing, Melsic, he's super explosive, big time kicker. I felt like his um his takedown defense and his get-up game has been getting a lot better despite getting choked out his last fight. I think that Kulabau is one of those guys, even though he's like Australian, he's kind of like, he fights like a Hawaiian where like you hit this dude with a baseball bat and he's still there. And I think that, you know, when you're hitting a dude with your hardest shots, kind of back to the Terrence McKinney talk and the guy's still there, it can be discouraging. And also with how explosive and fast twitch Melsic Bagdasarian is, it's not even a matter of cardio. The guy's in great shape. It's just a matter of those moves that he goes for are high energy moves. And as a result, his gas tank is going to dwindle as fights carry on. And Tucker maybe can push a pace late in the fight. My issue with Tucker is I think he badly lacks the athleticism needed to compete at this level. And I just think he's a, he's a little bit goofy. I think that if you're not quite on the level, he can kind of, you know, push that pace on you and just kind of out cardio, out will you. But I think he's going to be getting lit up with big kicks these first two rounds, possibly even get knocked out. 
Um, if he doesn't get knocked out, then I see Tucker maybe winning that third round and losing a decision. So I got Melsic, whether it's a knockout or a decision. Um, I think this is a good bounce back spot for Melsic. Yeah, I like Melsic striking a lot. Very explosive, like you said. Great kicks, just solid all around, especially in the first round. It kind of slows down a little bit as the fight goes along, but he'll be there for a full 15 minutes. I think he can win even in the third round if this is a striking match. But Lutz, if he can wrestle, especially early, if he can just take that power away from Melsic early, I think that'll just benefit him the longer this fight goes along. And if he can have success with the wrestling, he has a path to victory to win all three rounds. So I think this one's a dog or pass for me. It is getting closer to even. I, I did this fight when Melsic was around minus 210 or something like that. So it was screaming dog or pass more there. I don't know that I'm going to have a bet on Lutz but he's a possible play for me just with his clear path to victory. I just don't know how successful he'll be with that wrestling. And I do expect him to get lit up on the feet early in the fight. If he can't get those takedowns. So the line talked me into Lutz in this one. I think he can win two rounds with wrestling. Nice. Nice. So a little opposite sides here. I, I love it. So next up in the strawweight division, we got the UFC debut of Victoria Dudakova. She's undefeated at six and oh, taking on Estella Nunes, who's six and four. And currently they got it. Victoria Dudakova minus 190. The comeback on Estella Nunes is plus 165. So um basically my thing with Estella Nunes is like I really enjoy watching her fight because she comes out. Uh, can I say balls to the wall for for a women's fight? <laughs> yeah. um, she comes out hard in that early going. She's violent. She's looking to finish fights, and she's going for it. You know, um, on a regional scene, she's knocked women out with knees, with head kicks, and you can see that she's someone that's aggressive and goes for it. But she's had kind of, I don't know if it's mental lapses or not the best conditioning or whatever the case may be. But for some reason, she slows down as fights progress. And the thing with this chick, Victoria, she's very green, but she's very mean. Um, like in her fight on Contender Series, you could tell in that second round that like she blew her knee out, man. And she was still able to get those takedowns. Now, granted, there was there were some spots where, you know, she went for a really ugly throw. It was kind of like, do you remember that fight between Drickus Duplessis and Brad Tavares in the first round where Drickus tries to do that lateral drop, but then he ends up on his back and Brad's on top of him. The same thing happened with Dudakova on contender series and she got full mounted. She was in a really bad spot, but I liked her composure in that bad spot, man. I liked the fact that like, you know, it, it wasn't all smooth sailing and it was also against an eight and no opponent. It's not, it's not like, you know, she got full mounted by like some one and one chick on the regionals, right? Like she got full mounted by a girl, Maria Silva, who had already won a fight on contender series in the past, was eight and no coming into this fight. And listen, Dudakova overcame a bad spot with the injury. Now, do I think that she's got a lot of work to do? Absolutely. She's very green, and I would not lay minus two something on her in this spot. But I think that this is a good entry-level fight for her to kind of get her feet wet. And should she not 
you know, be finished in the early going, I think she's the meaner girl here. I think she's um, the one that's going to be willing to dig deep, uh, dig deeper. And you give me an undefeated Russian against someone who consistently gets finished in the women's weight classes. More often than not, I'm going to take the undefeated Russian. Uh, but not because she's the undefeated Russian, but because I just think she's the meaner girl. I think she's more built for a three-round fight. Just has to overcome some early adversity, and if she can do that, I think she's going to win the decision, possibly get a finish. I'm going to go Dudakova here. Yeah, I like Dudakova here as well. I, I like Nunez striking a lot, and I think she's live for a first-round knockout. First-round finish for Nunez plus 1,000. That would just be the way I would rather bet her because I think the longer this goes, it probably means she's spending time on her back. The more time she spends on her back, the more she's going to start giving up. Uh, and I, I liked seeing Dudakova be able to fight through that injury and still get the fight to the ground. I think she could do that here. All she has to do is get the fight to the ground, and that's Nunez's biggest weakness. I think she can keep it there for the rest of the round, if not possibly finish her in the second or third if Nunez does give up. So I am going to go with Dudakova here. But going into this week, I saw Nunez like plus 200. I think she's pretty good. Maybe this is a spot she can win. Hopefully this Dudakova is a striker. And no, she, this is not going to be a striking match. It's going to be striker versus grappler. Dudakova's not going to want to spend any time on the feet here. If she does, she's probably going to get lit up. So I think she gets takedowns early and often and just grinds out rounds, if not gets a submission at some point. Yeah, like, I mean, I see why people took a shot on Estella because she's violent. She comes to fight. It's just there's a drop-off in all these fights, and I don't know if it's mental. I don't know. I mean, she seems like she's in shape, so I don't know. It's just like I feel like it's been a consistent theme on this show, um, whether we're talking about Terrence McKinney or, you know, where that kind of bully mentality where, you know, it's like you hit this guy with a baseball bat and they're still fucking there. It's like, damn, what do I got to do to get this guy out? Like perfect example last week, uh, Ribovich versus Camuela Kirk. Camuela Kirk takes his back the entire first round. Ribovich is on defense mode. And it seems like, you know, from the naked eye, like, man, Camuela Kirk is dominating this fight. Just go do that again. But as someone that grapples, you know, not not on that level, those guys are black belts. I'm only a purple belt. But just saying, I know firsthand that, like, when you give it your all to try to get someone out of there and they're still there, it can discourage you. And I think that, you know, a similar thing can happen here just on the feet you know she can maybe hit her with these hard shots and due to kova still there and then she lands that big takedown and that's where you're going to see those big breaths coming from nunez like nunez just like went for a flying knee rocked her with the left hook looking like she's about to get this finishing sequence and then she gets head and arm throw head and arm throat and she's on her back for the rest of the round it's like you know it's like i gotta i gotta start all over again that's very discouraging mentally so that's kind of why I think Dudakova is going to take over this fight as it progresses. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Austin Lingo. He's nine and two. He's taking on Mel Costa, who's 19 and six. Currently, they got it. Mel Costa minus 205. The comeback on Austin Lingo is plus 175. So just gonna be frank with you man like well i'm always frank with you but i'm gonna be super frank here like i bet on tiago moises at minus 300 straight against this kid mel costa because i thought that going into it so mel costa you know he's got 
the 19 and six record isn't is he yeah not, he was 19 and five at the time i was like listen this kid's super experienced but like for an experienced guy i i just didn't see the things i wanted to see from someone who's had that many pro like 25 pro fights like there there were times in his uh regional fights where like he'd rock dudes with spinning back kicks and like didn't have the fight iq to finish there were times where he'd be like dominating fights against like really low level guys and those guys would like take him down and lay on him for minutes at a time so and the only reason mel got called to the ufc is because um so tiago moises he was initially supposed to fight guram but as you know guram one thing guram's known for is pulling out of fights so guram pulled out of the tiago moises fight so they had to call someone up on like a week notice well this kid's brazilian the fight was in brazil let's give this kid a shot right 19 and 6 record okay why not and he just showed he's not he's not quite ready um it's not that he's not ready because he's he is experienced i just don't think he's that good um the thing is austin lingo not the most athletic but one thing i liked about austin lingo's regional scene is like the way he was knocking dudes out and he hasn't done that in the ufc yet but on his regionals he was sleeping fools man i love the gym he comes out of fortis mma you know obviously i wish he was a little bit more athletic i wish he was a little bit more well-rounded but i think that he's a dog um not just at the betting window but just his fighting style and he had a kind of matchup against luis saldana that i kind of view similarly to this one you know saldana kind of the more longer striker kind of like mel is here um maybe an advantage on the mat as well but austin just kind of had that dog in him and was able to kind of will his way to victory in a hard-fought decision type fight so while i don't think it's going to be a clean performance by austin lingo by any means at all i think that at plus 175 plus 180 he's going to fight for your money and he was right there with nate landward look he definitely lost the fight like i'm not even talking about the the submission i'm talking about like you know he i i know he got rocked with some exchanges i i'm very aware of what happened in that fight but numbers wise he was right up there with nate landware and this guy's got a decent jab good overhand good left hook that's pretty much the basis of his game so i just see this being an honest three-round scrap so and i was shocked a few months back that this kid mel even got signed to the ufc so to see him at minus two something in a UFC fight for me, I'm kind of like, uh, no, dog or pass. So I'm not confident Lingo wins because I know that I know Lingo's shortcomings, but yeah, I just can't get behind Mel at minus two something against anyone on the featherweight roster. So for that reason, I'm going to go Austin Lingo for the upset, and I'm considering a bet. Just it, it just can't be a big bet. It it had to be like a one unit shot to max right i don't disagree with anything you said uh i just think i think that costa is just the more well-rounded striker he has more tools in his striking toolbox whereas lingo's just a bo uh, boxer with power he's live for the knockout he can keep it close with his boxing but you got costa's kicks costa has hands as well both of them don't have great takedown defense or ground games but this should be a striking match both of them are going to get the fight they want I think Costa wins the fight more times than he loses it, but minus 205, we're betting numbers here. Minus 205 is 67%, a little over 67%. I don't 
I think that's like 10% too high. So dogger pass at the betting window. I did pick Coast. I think he can win two rounds. But it could also be a fight where I think he wins two rounds. But Sal Diamato and Chris Lee think that <laughs> Lingo won two rounds. So I'd always rather side with the underdog if I think it's a split decision type of fight. So no issues with the bet on Lingo there. Um, and, and if it wasn't for me just thinking Costa was the more well-rounded fighter, I even put in my breakdown. I think he just wins this fight more often than he loses it, but the number's not there. You can't bet him. It's dogger pass. So that's how I see it going. And uh, I might even join you, even though I'm picking Costa to win. I'm not against betting against my predictions if the number's there. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Jack Della Madalena. He's 14 and two. Welcome in uh, Basil Hafez, who's eight, three and one to the UFC. And currently they got it. Jack Della minus 510. The comeback on Hafez is plus 385. So y'all know what Jack Della brings to the table. I mean, the dude, yeah, we can talk about his boxing for MMA, which is great to watch, but more importantly than that dude's a real fighter dude's mean like randy brown's demeanor completely changed when these two faced off and randy brown is a guy that's been in the ufc a long time that's you know been in there with the lukes and you know the barbs and all, all these awesome fighters and jack's got an aura about him man jack's a mean guy um makes it to the body well establishes his jab the issues we've had is when he gets taken down Angelusa near arm triangle, Amiv near, it's been a while since I watched the fight. I forget if it was Anaconda or Dars, but near submission attempt. But Jack, I mean, dude, he scrambles out of bad positions. He keeps his composure. He's got a lot of heart. And when he gets back up to the feet, he's nasty. This kid, Hafez, he's fucking cocked. He's built like a brick shit house. He's got one punch knockout power. He can grapple as well. My issue is, I think at the UFC level, I think so i might be off about this but i think there's a chance he could drop to 55s um but he's so cocked and bricked up that maybe not it just seems like so like in terms of muscle he's not going to be a smaller guy but like maybe in term he says he's 5'11 but i don't know when i was watching that fight with evan cuts his most recent fight his most recent fight i was thinking like He's going to be one of the smaller UFC welterweights, even though he's bricked up like that. I know that's like a contradiction, what I just said. Um, so, I mean, I think the kid has a shot maybe on the mat. It's just that the volume is a little bit too low for my liking. Look, the kid's got hands. I mean, his last fight, he, he landed a nasty check right hook on Evan Cuts. And I like the fact that he switches stances. I like his toughness. He went to a draw with Jeremiah Wells back in the day. So, like, he's been in there with tough guys. So, I respect him. Deserves his opportunity. He's just, you know, Jack Dill is a top 15 guy, and Hafez is not. And there's a reason for that. So, I got Jack Dill at first-round knockout. Yeah, I, I think it was a tougher test than uh, the previous opponent they had for Madalena. But Madalena is just such a good boxer. He's going to be there, I think, for three full rounds. This Hafez guy, he looks like a solid wrestler, big-time power. Everything he does, he's throwing power into, whether it be his striking or his wrestling. It just all takes explosiveness and power, and that's going to tire him out the longer this fight goes. I think he could have some success in round one, getting a couple takedowns. I don't know that he can control Madalena, but maybe he can get lucky and get a rear naked choke or a ground-and-pound stoppage or something like that. But with these wrestlers like that, 
when you get them on short notice, I just don't expect him to have that success for more than one round. So again, maybe it's a better live betting spot. If you're trying to get action on JDM here, maybe he even drops the first round. I think it could be a tough first round here, but after the first round, I should expect him to piece up this kid on the feet and knock him out at some point because Hafez does slow down as the fight moves along. The wrestling doesn't come as easy in the second and third round. The knockout power is not quite as there in the third round. So I expect at some point for him to fall off and JDM to put him away. But I'm not betting this current line. I would rather sit back, almost hope that he drops the first round, and you can get him at you know minus 170 or something like that. I would rather do that instead. But give me JDM by knockout. So next up in the lightweight division, we got Gennaro Valdez, 10-2, and two, taking on Evan Elder, who's 7-2. and two. And Currently, they got it. Evan Elder, minus 285, the comeback on Gennaro Valdez is plus 245. I'm a big fan of Gennaro, man. I mean, even if he never wins a UFC fight, the way he fights, I love it. I mean, his contender series fight, yes, was it hilarious? Were they both extremely gassed? Was it sloppy? Yes, but the guy's a dog. The guy comes to fight and fight against Frivola, you know, he gets the record set on him for most knockdowns landed in a lightweight fight. And, and Kyle, we're talking about a division where Gray Maynard knocked down Frankie Edgar how many times? You know what I'm saying? And Matt Frivola beat that record on this kid. But when you get knocked down like five times, that means he got back up like four times. You know, so the kids, I mean, heart, balls, all there. Even against Natan Levy, Natan was hitting him with that sweet chin music and the dude was getting back up. So, like, you don't got to question the heart. You just got to question he's very hittable. Um, I do think his gas tank has gotten better because you watch his contender series fight where he slowed down dramatically. Compare that to the Levy fight. And I think that, you know, he did go three hard rounds with Levy. Now, he did give up some easier takedowns and, you know, did get dropped a couple times. But, you know, that. That second round, he rocked Levy really badly. So I like the kid. And then Evan, from his UFC debut up a weight class at 70s, you know, even though he got outclassed, he showed that he's a tough guy. He's willing to hang in there, right? And then his last fight against Sadikov, he was having a, a decent performance. It was a really close fight, but he was up on the scorecards, landed takedowns, got a little knockdown. So I like the kid. The thing, here's my issue. My issue is the price. Um while you know if it's a pick em, i'll go evan elder and as a pure pick i'll go evan elder but when when we're talking minus uh, when we're talking plus 250 i mean it's a dogger pass situation i did see improvements in valdez's last fight his back is up against the wall he is gonna go for it so at least you know that if you're gonna take that shot on him he's gonna do his best he's, he, like win lose or draw this kid's gonna go out there and fight with his balls. He's a true Mexican warrior, and I respect the fuck out of him. I do think Elder is just kind of slightly, you know, he's just tighter with his combinations. He's just a little bit more methodical and just more meat and potatoes, a little bit less wild. But he's also a green prospect himself, right? So this is kind of a fight you'd see in like an LFA main event. So it could kind of, and, and I'm, I don't mean that disrespectfully, I just mean that factually, like, you know I'm right. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna pick Elder as a pure pick, but if you're gonna bet this fight, it's plus two fifty or pass. 
Yeah, I'm not gonna bet this fight. But yeah, I'm not I'm, because I'm not gonna lay that line on Elder. But I would say he probably does win this fight three out of four times. I mean, the larger you make that number of fights, the more Valdez probably starts to win. But it's just all this guy's got is a few minutes of cardio. He's just throwing everything he has into these punches. He'll throw four or five winging bombs, and if those don't knock him out, he goes for the takedown. It's the same thing in every single fight. Against lesser opponents, he lands those bombs, or he gets that takedown, and then he throws bombs on the ground, or he tries to wrap up a rear naked choke. But that's all he's got, and I think that Elder's just better everywhere, especially after round one. It might be a, a, a rough first two or three minutes, but after that, I think Elder cruises. I don't know that Elder's like good enough to just put him away anywhere, but I think he could grind out three full rounds here. I feel really good about him winning the second and the third, but I think he can win the first as well. So I'll take Elder to win a decision. I mean, he could definitely put him away, but I'd rather take my chances on a decision rather than inside the distance. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Tyson Nam. He's 21 and 13, taking on the newcomer, Azat Maxim, who's 16 and 0. And he's representing Kazakhstan. Currently, they got it. Azat minus 415. The comeback on Tyson Nam plus 315. So I fully expect Azat to come out wearing a dead animal on his head uh, during the weigh-ins, which is in, which is lock central, right? now. But listen, man, I got so much respect for Tyson Nam. You know, the guy is... 39 years old on topology i thought he was in his 40s already but either way but it's not like a 40 year old that is slowing down per se because he doesn't really take a lot of damage he took a lot of damage his last fight but th throughout the course of his career doesn't really take too much damage and he can fight competitively with a lot of guys it's just the issue with tyson nam is his volume is on the extremely lower side but tyson nam is one of the most vicious knockout artists in flyweight history even bantamweight if you go back in the day when you remember when uh the the bellator champ eduardo dantes decided to take a little fight in brazil uh, while he was the bellator champ against this kid tyson nam and you know i think dantes was like a minus five to minus 750 favorite and it was supposed to be a little tune-up to get him to his next fight and Tyson Nam knocks him out in like a minute 40. You know, like Tyson Nam knocked out Ali Bagautinov with one second left in the fight. You've seen his UFC knockouts against Adeshev, against uh, Jerome Rivera, against Ode Osborne. I mean, when he lands, he lands. He's dangerous as hell, and he's very athletic. Like, when you watch that celebration he had after he knocked out Ode Osborne, like, dude, he's like fast twitch. He's like, he's super athletic, and I hope I look like him when I'm 40. <laughs> The issue here is with this kid, Azat, Azat um, I'm a fan, man. Um, so on the feet, it's a little bit lower volume, except when he actually does let his combos go. Kid's got fast hands, but where it's really at with him is, I mean, when he gets guys down to the ground, that last fight with that with that Darce choke, you know, you know, I got an affinity for the Darce chokes and all the front chokes and the way he set that up. And it was against like a real you know, an undefeated Brazilian who was a black belt. You could tell the guy he was up against knew what he was doing on the ground. And Azat tapped him out like it was nothing. And it's like, oh, shit. So, like, this kid is a prospect. We don't know what the ceiling is yet. But what we do know is this kid absolutely deserves to be in the UFC. 
And for them to give him Tyson Nam as his entry to the UFC shows what kind of regard they hold him in. But I do think that this is a test he can pass, and I think he will pass it. And uh, I think it might be very impressive, too. This is a young kid to look out for. Um, and, yeah, so let's see what he does. I'm picking him. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely picking him. I, I don't know that I've ever picked Tyson Nam just because he's so low volume in most fights. He just typically knock out or bust because he's so low volume, but he's a great striker. He's got a ton of power. It's just you know he's not going to go out there and look to wrestle. He's not going to blow your socks off and make it a clear decision if it does go all 15 minutes. But in this one, he, he actually could make it close with a 15-minute decision because as that isn't a high-volume striker either, but you mentioned when he does throw, he throws in some combos. He has a very nice and fast one-two. He'll follow it up with a takedown. I just think his biggest advantage in this fight, for him to look like a minus 410 favorite, he's probably got to get the fight to the ground. Um, if we're looking at a 15-minute striking match, I would rather just take these chances on Nam. But as that could knock him out, he's definitely got power. It comes out of nowhere, too, just fast knockouts. Uh, but I like his ground game. So there's no way I'm going to pick against him here. But I'm, at the same time, I'm not laying minus 410. I, I just think he's a clear pick to win. But I, I'd rather see it in the UFC before I lay that kind of price. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Carl Deaton. He's 17-6, and six, taking on Alex Munoz, who's 6-2. and two. Currently, they got it. Alex Munoz, minus 175. The comeback on Carl Deaton is plus 150. I got a lot of respect for Deaton. This is a guy that's paid his dues on that regional scene, fought a lot of tough competition, and I think he's also, like, part of a – someone correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to speak out of turn. He's part of, like, a Native American tribe, so he's got, like, a ton of, like, pride, and he fights with that pride. Like, in that Joe Selecki fight – um, Joe Selecki is like a real black belt, like a legit black belt. And I'm pretty sure didn't uh, Carl like not even tap? Didn't he like let himself go to sleep? Like, and like, you know, with a squeeze like that, bro, like that's instant tap city. And this dude was like, fuck it. Let, you know, <laughs> let's go out. Um, I, I respect him. I've respected him for a long time. Uh, I know I, I know of him because he fought in a regional scene next to mine here in the Southeast. And he fought my buddy Nate Williams twice. Um, the first time. They had a very competitive three-round fight. But the next time, he put a clinic on my buddy Nate in a five-round fight. So this kid's actually got five-round experience outside the UFC. He's fought in PFL before. So, I mean, I don't know what more to ask for from a guy, you know, coming into the UFC on his second appearance. Just in terms of, like, have you paid your dues outside the UFC or not? Carl Deaton has. He's a tough guy. I respect him. Um, he's got... 12 finishes on his record only been finished three times that's a great ratio so nothing but respect and then with munoz former oklahoma state d1 wrestler for those unaware oklahoma state johnny Hendricks, daniel cormier i mean come on so you know you know what this kid's wrestling credentials are trains had a team alpha male I i'm just curious why he's been gone um for so long hasn't been there since that fight with luis pena which was a great fight does anyone know if he had some kind of injury that's why he's been out or what the deal is but i don't know it's tough because it's like the wrestling credentials for for alex far far surpass carl deaton but carl deaton's got way more experience and 
just been paying his dues for years. So I could see him being competitive at times. If Munoz looks kind of like what he looked like his last few fights, you know, then I kind of, oh, so, okay. So we got confirmation here. Marcus Muster said it was an ACL, has some complications with the ACL recovery, and it's his second ACL surgery. Shit. <laughs> so maybe there's not as much explosion. Excuse me. Um, firstly, I, I appreciate y'all uh, bearing with me. You know, I wasn't going to say shit, but, you know, I am kind of under the weather today. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't going to let the fans down. Um, but, you know, I appreciate y'all. But, uh, yeah, so maybe there's not as much, like, drive and explosiveness on the takedowns that you normally see from a, a D1 wrestler here, considering it's a second ACL surgery and he's coming off a two-year layoff, which normally – Normally, I kind of think layoffs are myths just because, like, for, like, a younger guy coming off a layoff, I see it as time to improve and level up your game. For an old-school vet coming off a layoff, you already know what it's been like to be there. The only times I really put stock into layoffs are, like, reconstructive surgeries. Like, for example, when Chris Weidman comes back, he's getting faded. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you're never going to look the same after smashing your leg like that um and i and i and i wish him the best of course so with with deaton this is one of those layoffs where i'd be worried about torn acl and there was some kind of you know some kind of complications with the surgery here's where i put stock into a layoff that being said is he still good enough to beat carl deaton um, i'm not sure because again with some of these guys like deaton who you know the guys had what close to 25 pro fights like he's been paying his dues for so long like sometimes these guys aren't going to get denied and he is a tough out so i think i don't know if i want to call it dog or pass because i just don't know what to expect from munoz coming off that that acl surgery with the complication i guess i'll lean munoz because at their best i think munoz win this wins this fight i'm just not convinced he's gonna be at his best in this fight and i also have a lot of respect for deaton so it's a pass for me pure pick Munoz but I'm actually rooting for Deaton not because I got anything against uh Munoz it's just I'd, I'd love to see Deaton get his arm raised one time inside that octagon yeah I mean maybe this is the spot after a two-year layoff with ACL surgery we, we just don't know how this Munoz kid's gonna look but if we're seeing the same guy from the past I just think he can keep this fight close on the feet with his power uh I would think Deaton has more striking tools and is probably landing a little bit more volume over the course of a three round striking match, but his takedown defense is just not there. And his, his there's really no get up game. He's not really trying to get up from what I've seen in these fights. So I think that there's a clear path to victory for Munoz to just lay on this guy for two or three rounds if he needs to, but he has a lot of power. He could knock him out on the feet. Uh, I just, I'm going to go with Munoz to win probably gets two or three rounds. Minus 170, though, after a two-year layoff, I'm not really in the business of laying that. More so than a two-year layoff, ACL with complications, two-year layoff, right? That's where I'm like, shit. So, yeah, I agree. Now, last but not least, kicking off the card in the Bantamweight division, we got Ashley Evans-Smith, Rebel, Rebel Girl. She's 6-5. and Y'all should check out her podcast. Um, it's actually, like, depending on the guests, it's pretty entertaining. Like, check out the one that she had with Jamal Hill. It's hilarious. She's taking on Eileen Perez, who's seven and two, representing Argentina. So two Argentines on this card. You love to see it. 
Currently, they got it. Holy shit, Kyle Marley. They got it minus 220, Eileen Perez. The comeback on Ashley is plus 185. So it went from like minus 130, minus 150 to, to minus 220. So safe to say I missed the line, you know? Because at minus 150, I was kind of like, okay, the principle of fading Ashley Evan Smith is a good one because, in my opinion, she's completely checked out the game um, and doesn't react to getting hit well, just doesn't, seem, just doesn't seem like she's quite invested anymore. You know, back in her day, maybe some wrestling upside here and there and can kind of throw in combinations as well, but it's just on the receiving end. That's where she doesn't take it as well. Um, and with Eileen, so I think Eileen had a big reality check her last fight. You know, she was coming in twerking and, and talking about how she was the one to dethrone Nunez and just talking all this absurd shit, right? And she got humbled. And it's important for fighters that, you know, are talking like that to get humbled. And guess how humbled she got, Kyle Marley? She left Argentina. She came to the States. Now she's training at MMA Masters in Florida. So she's surrounded by Colby Covington. She's surrounded by Baeza, by just people that have been there, right? Um, there's some other good fighters at that gym. Um, Nico Price, you know, just like people that have been there, people that are going to push her. Whereas before, she was probably just beating up on like Uber drivers. Um, you know, like you heard the Cheeto Vera story, like back when he trained in Ecuador, like he'd have like non-fighters training. He'd have like doctors and lawyers and cab drivers like being his training partners. And he still like won a fight in the UFC. But in order to get to like the top five where he is now, he had to, he had to move to the States. So she realized that in her first fight. So that showed me a big sign of maturity. And even though she still got her little twerk going on, not hating on it at all, she's a lot less arrogant. She's not saying that Amanda Nunes is running from her or any bullshit like that anymore. It seems like she's focused. She's lean. She's gotten in the best shape of her life. And basically what I need here from her, because she's mostly known for being kind of like a head and arm throw, kind of like a bully kind of more physical kind of get these girls down to the ground ground and pound chokes whatever the case may be what i need against ashley is i just need effort i just need you to be meaner than her i just need you to kind of push on that gas pedal and just show her that like maybe if you're not you might not be as technically sound not that ashley is you know the the the, the gold standard for being a technically sound fighter but just saying ashley's a lot more experienced and eileen's very young and green but Eileen can make up for being that green with with that effort, with that tenacity, and with that will to win, which I think she has far more of than Ashley Evan Smith at this point in her career. So shout out to everyone that came in at that minus 150, minus 130. Y'all did your job. At minus 220, I'm no longer interested, and I missed the line, so I'm passing. But, you know, if you can consistently beat a line move by that that much i mean you're gonna be on the right side of the of the coin long term so y'all did your job congrats to you guys and i am gonna pick eileen perez just just by wanting it more just by being meaner just by kind of showing ashley that like hey i want to be in the ufc in the next 10 years i don't think ashley has those same aspirations i think this is kind of let me get one last paycheck last fight of my contract type ordeal um 
and we'll keep enjoying Ashley's podcast. She seems like a cool chick, you know, no disrespect. Uh, y'all, I, again, check out that episode with Jamal Hill. It's absolutely hilarious. But yeah, I'm going to go Eileen Perez to just, just kind of be the bully out there. Not perfect. Well, well said. I agree with everything you just said. After two years, I just can't expect that Evan Smith is going to look any better. I would imagine she's more checked out of the sport rather than having any sort of title inspirations. Uh, and Perez is mean, man. When she gets the fight to the ground, she she looks pretty good. She dominates girls on the ground. I think she could dominate Smith on the ground. But I give Smith the striking edge. I also think Smith could have some wrestling success of her own. Like, she's okay in top control herself. I don't think Perez is good off her back. So, yeah, at minus 220, you got to think she's going to win the fight more than 70% of the time. I'm just not confident enough. I was thinking about it at minus 155. But, I, yeah, I missed it as well. So, I'll take Perez to get the win. I think the best way to invest in her at this point would be on DraftKings. If she is going to win this fight, it's mostly going to come through the ground. She can score well. You're not paying an extra price over there either. And like if she pays off this minus 200 money line, you don't get any extra money. But on DraftKings, if she looks like a minus 400 favorite, she's going to score more points too. So I'll just get my, my investment to Perez over there on DFS. So before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So in your opinion, Kyle Marley, what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 77? Well, the fight to watch is definitely going to be Prado versus Azatar. Just a, a car crash. Who's going to come out of it alive? I don't know, but I'm picking Prado. Woo, fighter. Let me hear yours, your fight and fighter before I pick a fighter on this one. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, my fight to watch, I mean, like, it's a toss-up between the McKinney fight and the Gennaro Valdez fight because, like, Gennaro Valdez is must-see TV. Like, um, and maybe the skills need a lot of catching up and this and, and this and that, but, like, the dude's going to go for it. The dude's going to go balls to the wall. Like, his contender series fight was so entertaining. His fight against Rivola, so entertaining. His fight against Levy, absolute dogfight. Like, I like the kid. Um, I just hope that, for his sake, he can tighten a few things up Get, he's got a little bit of experience under his belt now. Maybe we can see a better performance from him. And Evan Elder, he's also kind of been on the short end of the stick. You know, he had to take a short notice fight up a weight class his first time. The last time he was up on the scorecards and suffered a cut, which was a legit cut. Nazim caused that cut. Let's not get it twisted. It wasn't a inadvertent clash of heads or any shit. It was a legit strike that caused it. So, yeah, both these guys are desperate. 0-2 in the UFC. These guys need a win, man. So for that reason, and it's going to be entertaining as hell, Gennaro Valdez or Seven Elder is my fight to watch. So Kyle Marley, who is your fighter to watch? Uh, I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm going to go as at Maxim. Just he, he looks like he's got the goods. I don't even know if I, I might have said his name wrong, but he looks like he's got the goods, more so on the ground. But this is going to be a great fight to see how good his striking is. If he can go out there, and style on Nam on the feet, then he, he's the real deal. So I'll go with Azat in that one. For me, my fighter to watch is actually Mayura Bueno Silva. Like, listen, if you beat Holly Holm, that's a former UFC champion, that's a future Hall of Famer. Like, even if Holly, the fighter, is not a Hall of Famer, the moment against Ronda is a Hall of Fame moment. So however you want to slice it, Holly Holm will be in the UFC Hall of Fame when it's all said and done. So for Myra, if she can come out here and get this win, all of a sudden you catapult to the top of the rankings. You're right in discussions for a title shot. Because, I mean, when you look at the rankings at, at um, Bantamweight, 
I mean, I think we're all kind of sick of Juliana Pena. I mean, if Juliana Pena stopped running her mouth, maybe we'd want to see her in a title fight again. Uh, <laughs> Rocky Pennington still got some work to do. She's on a nice streak, but she's got work to do. Irene Aldana, after that's done, we don't want to see her in a title fight anytime soon. <laughs> Ketlin Vieira coming off a loss. I mean, Panny Kian's ad's nowhere near the, the mix. Uh, Jermaine Durandamy's uh, on a maternity leave. So it's like, Myra, like, the division's wide open for you and the the belt's vacant. So you come out here and and if and if you win in Myra Bueno Silva fashion, which is finishing, which is violent, then the fans are gonna get behind you and that's where they're gonna propel you to get that title shot. So this is the biggest fight of her life. And for that reason, Myra Bueno Silva is my fighter to watch. Well, Kyle Marley, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night at the Apex. Y'all can follow my dog, Kyle Marley, at Big Marley 3. Um, all the fans, thank y'all so much uh, for bearing with me. I know I'm under the weather, but I wasn't going to let y'all down today. So y'all do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. And when this is over, uh, please leave me a comment as well. And then also, like I said, follow Kyle at Big Marley 3. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. You can subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. Kyle, any message for the fans before we get out of here? Now, man, hopefully we can make this card a winning card, and that'll make it all worth it. But uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Big Marley 3. I'll have a DFS show over at Ship It Nation on Friday. You can check that out where we break down every fight from a DFS angle. Uh, but yeah, man, it was good being back on this pod. This is where it all started for me. Man. This is where my first podcast ever was. Then we had the Big Marley Minute for however long. So it was good talking with you. Uh, we've been boys for like eight, ten years, I think. So uh, I always love coming on here. Absolutely, man. It, it's an honor to have you back on. And it was cool from going from the Big Marley Minute to the Big Marley Hour. So I really hope the fans enjoyed it. I know I did. And and we'll make it happen sooner than later. We're not going to wait five years uh for the for the next Kyle Marley appearance on Half the Battle, my man, and also congrats on on your new gig uh, with Ship It. So, you know, I hope y'all ship it this weekend. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, make sure y'all follow Kyle for all his links. They're all posted on his Twitter, and uh, yeah, I think that's all I got to say. So, thank you all so much to everybody that supports me, whether it was from day one, whether it was along the way, or whether it's recently. I sincerely appreciate it, and I'm always down to interact with anybody that has my back. So, thank you all very much for that as well. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.